Welcome to Constitutional Defenders, where we discuss important issues and cases related to criminal defense and how criminal defense attorneys handle these cases on a daily basis. Today, we'll be discussing the case of Dennis Tomasic, a man who spent nine years in prison for a crime he did not commit. His wife, Kim Tomasic, is with us today to tell her story and explain all that she did to help get him exonerated. Welcome to Episode 1. Hi, I'm Lizzie Carey. I am a paralegal with Chartier and Niam Fakudza. I am the producer of this podcast, as well as a paralegal. So paralegal by day, producer by night, which is just a fancy way to say that I'm the only one who knows how to work the equipment. Uh, and with us today, we have our hosts of the show, Mary Chartier and Takura Niam Fakudza, who are the partners of our law firm. Hi, Mary. Hi, T. Hi, Lizzie. Hey, Lizzie. And then we also have one of the other paralegals of our firm, Kim Barris. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Kim. And uh, Mary, what do we have today to talk about? Well, we're really excited for our guest today. We have Kim Tomasic. Kim's husband was accused of criminal sexual conduct in 2006. He was wrongfully convicted and spent nine years in prison. Ultimately, it would take 11 years before we exonerated Dennis. And so we're here today to talk about Kim or talk to Kim about her experiences in assisting and exonerating her husband, who is now listed on the National Registry of Exonerations. Nice. Hi, Kim. Hi. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you here. So before we get started with Kim, we have so many questions for you, and I know our listeners do as well. But in 2006, Dennis was falsely accused by a teenager from the neighborhood of rape. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And that must have rocked your world when those allegations first came out. Oh, absolutely. We had no clue where it was coming from or we were just dumbfounded. Totally dumbfounded. I don't even know how to explain it other than what is going on. And then you and Dennis had never been in trouble before. So you really thought the police would investigate, find there's no merit to this, and then it would all go away. Absolutely. And then that's not what happened at all, right? No. We learned firsthand that that's not how it goes. So Dennis, he went in to talk to the police and told him that he did not commit these assaults, correct? Absolutely. And then what happened? The prosecutor was running for judge at the time, so we kept getting... Um, court dates. Nothing seemed to really be happening. Um, so we just figured that they were investigating and that, you know, they it was just going to go away. Like they would find the truth and it would be over. So Dennis went in, spoke to the police, said that he did not commit these offenses. Ultimately, he was charged, correct? Yes. And then how did you find a lawyer? Uh, well, we never had any legal issues, so we actually found one in a phone book. Had you ever had, to, you've never had to have a, an attorney before, right? No, I've never, we've never spoke to an attorney. So you had no idea like what the process was or who to go to? No. no, no. And then what were you feeling? Did you think this would really go to trial or that someone would ultimately come to their senses and think this case shouldn't go forward? Well, we kind of figured that, you know, once they started looking into it, that they would realize that this is 
just a false allegation that it's it was just so ridiculous to us that we can't even imagine that you know it wouldn't have just gone away like once they started looking into it obviously when you start talking to people and they're telling you you know this isn't even possible that it would just end was the main reason that you thought that they would come to their senses is because the complainant said this happened approximately 10 years earlier and would happen after school and Dennis was at work. So there was no way that he could have even been home at the time. Yeah. I, you know, Dennis is the sole provider for a family. So I was a stay at home mom. I was with my kids all the time. That's was my job. It's what I did. Um, And Dennis is Hours were kind of um, not typical. Like he would go in a little later in the morning and he was there late in the evenings. He worked a lot of hours. Um, he loved his job. He was really good at it. And I loved being home with the kids. And Did the complainant, did he, was he ever at your house? He was at my house a couple times when he was five, mm-hmm. um, but no more than a handful of times. Okay. And that was like for an hour after school. His mom had asked me to watch him once or twice. And you were there the whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about, so in the mid-90s, the complainant came over a couple of times when he would have been kindergarten, first grade, roughly that age. Yes. And then he makes the allegations approximately 10 years later. So I know, Takura, you worked on this investigation quite a bit. Was there a prompt, do you remember, for why those allegations were made? Did he just come up out of the blue and make those allegations or Ah. through your investigation, was there sort of a precipitating event? Right, right. So he told a story to get himself out of a jam. He was caught red-handed, not to be cheesy, but he was stealing from from a purse at school. And the instant, the instant he made the allegation that Dennis Tomasic had done these things to him, of course... Nobody cared about what it is that he'd been caught doing on camera. And, of course, the focus shifted entirely at that point to Dennis and these false allegations. Which he ultimately admits in the second trial that he made the claim. He still says the claim was true. He didn't admit he lied, but he said he made the claim to get out of trouble, which was... I believe his words were, I want mercy. I wanted mercy. Right, right. Which was really astonishing to hear somebody admit from the stand. Mm -hmm. And then he was seeing a therapist who was a friend of the family because initially he claimed he had been assaulted as a child, but didn't come up with a name. And it was only once the family got involved and they started going through who, you know, did he go over to someone's house as a child? Was it a particular teacher? Whatever was going on. And then he said it was someone from the neighborhood and then came up with Dennis's name. I mean, is that pretty much how it unfolded? Yeah, because he got in trouble at the school and he was arrested. Or no, prior to that, he did a suicide. Uh, he put thing, a thing on um, Zanga and Zanga about a suicide. What's attempt- Zanga for those of us who are <laughs> for those of us who are not, you know, part of the younger generation? Zanga was an early like social media website. Um, I believe it was kind of like people would use it as like a online diary or journal. I never had one, but it was like think of like Facebook before Facebook. But you did have a silly name when you were younger, right? I, I'm here. I'm- I may have. Okay. And then people want to know, right? Inquiring minds want to know. So you, uh, what was your name on social so, media? Well, I had, it was AIM, which was the instant messaging. And this was, keep in mind, when I was in middle school, uh, I thought I was really cool and punk. And so mine was XX Overdose on a Kiss XX. 
Who would have known? <laughs> you clearly did not reveal that to us in your interview. So that's something that you kept from us. But so back to Dennis. So this comes up he, from this therapist and his parents getting involved and that's- he makes this claim. And then, you know, if we sort of fast forward, the, Dennis is charged. Did you provide his original lawyer with information that he could have used to show that Dennis wasn't even home when yeah. it, these assaults supposedly occurred? Absolutely. And did he use any of it? No. He kept telling me, you're thinking inside of the box, which I never really could comprehend what that meant because I'm giving him things you know, to prove his innocence. And he's like, Not well, what good is that going to do? What What's that going to do? Like, that's how you prove you're innocent. You, I mean. Because when I, was um, the accuser saying that these incidences happened? After school. Mm-hmm. And, and Dennis wasn't home. No. And actually, you, you were providing much more than just mere information. You gave him tangible items. Correct. Receipts and the like. Correct. What was Dennis's normal work schedule? He would go in late morning and then work, you know, into the evening, anywhere from eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And then. And so. did he work so late that when he arrived, there were certain chores that made him famous in the neighborhood? Yes. He uh, he had some nicknames like nocturnal because he would <laughs> mow his lawn when he got home. And sometimes it was dark. So he would be out there mowing the lawn in the dark. But it had to be done. So. You know, and he worked long days. He was tired. So he would just, I want to get it done before bed because he wasn't going to get up early and do it because he's too tired. Did he have to use flashlights to do it? He did. (laughs) How would he do that, Kim? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I heard about it now and then. Like, oh, your husband's the one that mows in the dark. Yeah. That that straps flashlights to his mower. (laughs) (laughs) They they knew him by that pretty much. You're lucky you had nice neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. a guy mowing at midnight. Yeah. Certainly not go over well with a lot of different neighbors. Yeah. So if we, Dennis has these allegations against him, you find a lawyer from the phone book, you go to trial, Dennis is convicted. Right. What was that like for you? And you have two kids. It was like all of a sudden, wham, we went to trial and I'm sitting on my porch and Dennis was convicted. And my world changed. You know, I had two kids to to feed. I had mortgage and bills. And he was the sole provider. I didn't have a job. And now I have to get an appeals attorney. And it it just, it was like a tidal wave just took, a, took us out. Like How old, so you had uh, Ethan and Shelby. How old were they when Dennis was convicted? Um, 16 and 13 at the time. Were they in the courtroom when the verdict came back? Or were they in school? Uh, Shelby didn't make 10 minutes in the courtroom because when the prosecutor started talking about her dad, she lost it and came running out of the courtroom. Um, I missed both trials. Like I had to sit in the hallway for the trial. So people asked me about trial and I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't in there. I was in the hallway because when you're last to testify, you can't be in there until after you've testified. So I missed both trials. Um, But she came out and and I did not, you know, we, we left it up to the kids. It was their decision if they wanted to go in and mm-hmm. sit in there. But Shelby just couldn't handle that. They did were lying about her father and she, she had issues with it. So did you have to tell them about the verdict? Did you have to go home and tell them that Dennis had been convicted? Ethan was at the the day of that. Shelby did not come to court with us. And um, Ethan was there. 
and we had a lot of support. There was a lot of people. And when the verdict came down, I honestly can't tell you, like, I just remember people were hugging me and kind of guiding me, get up, let's go walking, you know. I was just in shock, I think. I don't, Shelby wasn't there. So we ended up back at my house. And when I got there, there were so many people and so many cars. And because you had a lot of support. Oh, yeah. And people were not, they were like, if this could happen to him, this could happen to any of us. We were, they were just in shock. Like, you know, the, when, when the detective came around and they talked to him, they all said, we will, you know, support Dennis. We're going to, you know, be there for him. Um, Because the detective interviewed all of your neighbors. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of them supported Dennis and said, you know, yeah. this is impossible. He didn't do it. The right. complainant's a liar. Well, and and he was never there. So, mm-hmm. you know, by that time, you know, after the trial, some a lot of them, a lot of people were there supporting. So they were all at the house when I got home. But what happened was, um, when they had, my son had gone to the house to tell Shelby because she was with a neighbor, and um, she just didn't take it very well. Um, but by the time we got home, the support, it by the time I got home, there was already a 10-year-old out doing a can collection for her friend because her friend's family was in trouble and she was going to need money. And that started with a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old child before I even got home. You so, had great support from your community. Oh, absolutely. You have really great neighbors. I could have never made it through that 10 years without all of the support. The support was amazing. People I didn't even know. I, there's so many stories about that. We, so we could was, talk about that for the next hour. And and not to keep drudging that up, but was it just emotional or financial support as well? Everything. Financial um, emotional. I think I drove my brother-in-law's car more in that nine years than he did. Um, if it broke, they took it to the shop, they fixed it, they sent it back down. Um, financially, you know, I, I would get cards, gift cards, um, people paying for like my daughter, I couldn't afford to send her to, to driver's ed. So other people, my brother-in-law paid for that. I had like my sister's neighbors. I've met them a couple times, but they're like, well, we want to pay a bill for her. So they would pay one of my bills randomly. People Um, were paying your mortgage at one point too, weren't they? Helping at least? They gave, I would, I would get a knock on the door and it would be like a neighbor or a friend and they'd hand me a card and hug me and, you know, we support you. Is there anything we can do? And that was the big thing. People wanted to help and they did what they could do. People cleaned my house when I was gone to visit Dennis in prison. I would come home and my house would be clean because I I was so busy running and I needed uh, attorneys and my kid. They would watch over the kids while I was gone. Um, It was just amazing. Was there ever a time that you felt you just couldn't go on? That you just thought, I I don't know that I can get out of bed, right? This is so overwhelming. Yes. They took good care of me and my kids. There were days where I just, you know, I, you're on time limits. You have to have an appeal. You have to have a lawyer. You have to have. So I, I had an appeals lawyer, but he became a judge. So then I was without one, but there's, I have to have, you know, a lawyer. I have only so much time these briefs have to be in. So I, I just... I would wake up and say, I just can't even do this. And one day I was laying in my bed and 
I remember my neighbors and my my cousin Lisa and you know these women are I don't even know how I think there was like four women in my room saying get out of the bed you know this isn't going to work so basically when I couldn't do it for myself they would be there doing it you know feeding making sure I ate and getting out of bed and get in the shower and you know let's talk about it let's walk around the block breathe whatever you need to do we're gonna get you through this so you know, I had my ups and I, my downs, and I was just blessed to have mm-hmm. that support. I don't think a lot of people probably have that. So, and there was a there was a um, wonderful photo that we used in trial, um, where it's all it's all your community, right? All your your neighbors, and tell yeah. us about that. The 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 day Dennis was convicted, um, like I said, I came home, and there were so many people people from mm-hmm. trial, all the neighbors friends of people just you know the word went out and it went like a wildfire and um I was just kind of like I said I was in shock I sat on my porch and I just was thinking my gosh what am I gonna do so the next morning I had said something that evening about wow I can't imagine where Dennis is at right now in his head and what he's thinking so I said I would love to do some kind of support picture for him so he can see what I'm seeing because there were so many people like the whole block was full cars people it was crazy so the neighbor girls had come down the next morning and said we're going to do a support picture today they took my address book and these girls are in my kitchen and they were fairly young just teenagers you know and they called everybody in that book and they had everybody in the neighborhood calling everybody and said, we're going to do sport pitchers. Get over here. So like a couple hours later, there are all these people in the front yard and <laughs> there, there's cameras and they're going to take pictures and they're figuring it all out. And, you know, we couldn't get everybody in. So they backed up a couple trucks and people were climbing into the beds <laughs> of the trucks and people brought their dogs and they made signs. And, and, and what the signs say? Dennis, we love you and support you. Uh, I will try so. to, I believe I can put that photo in the section or the episode notes. So I will try for our listeners who want to see that to upload that so you can see how great of a photo that is. It's um, such a compelling yeah. photo. I mean, it really gives me chills every time I see it still. Well, it, it and it was the start of the fight for justice. Like, and I wasn't alone and that we would randomly send to him. So he wouldn't forget like mm-hmm. you know I, time's going by but listen you know we're still out here fighting don't give up we're gonna get this so and, and speaking of people who supported you in the fight for justice for dennis could you tell us what the names chris and marty Tiber mean to you oh my gosh chris and marty Tiber are the reason that he got the appeal and um they didn't give up when i had called marty he uh he said, well, let me read it. I want to, you know, check it out. And I'm like, good, read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it, you know. Um, and he did. And he called back and he said, wow, you know, are you going to hire me? And I said, absolutely. And it started there. They fought for nine years for Dennis. They did. That- I ran I ran out of money. And I told him, I said, I will sell my house. You know, I, what I, I'll sell my house. It's, it's what I, it's all I have left because I had taken everything else and, um, spend it on attorneys and defense, you know, it's, it's kind of costly. And Marty said, Nope, don't worry about it. He said, I'm not walking away from this until, till Dennis walks free. And he held to the very end with that. Cause but, Marty and Chris are wonderful. They're amazing. Yeah. And 
they just did such a great job. And yeah, yeah, Chris and Marty are amazing. Amazing men. It went up and down and up and down. So this is nine years on a direct appeal. So you would lose at the Court of Appeals, win at the Supreme Court. It would go back for a hearing. Then you'd start that fight all over again or that process. That must have been incredibly difficult to just hang in there for nine years. You know, they they are so amazing. Um, I was a lot. To, to handle. <laughs> no, you know, I, I would tell people, I would say, you know, these poor guys, I, you, I, their wives can't be as bad as this. <laughs> they, they really, if they don't have gray hair by now, <laughs> um, they were wonderful that, you know, when I call, they always called back and I was on, I, you know, there was times where I already said, Kim, you really, you really shouldn't do that. And I'd be like, yeah, I know, but I get so many answers. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, so, <laughs> you know, um, but they, they did, they did not expect to do nine years of appeals. Even, you know, they would get excited about stuff. And at time, so much time had gone by. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm not going to get that excited <laughs> because we got shut down so many times that you get excited and then I couldn't handle the letdowns anymore. Um, and I, at, at the Supreme court, when we, when we won, Marty was, <laughs> did I, he call you and tell you? No, he was there. Oh, or, oh no, he was, he was there, but it, he was excited about how things went and stuff. And then Chris had called me. Do we want to go into that? Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. So, so nine for, years right. later, after uh, the Court of Appeal four times, Supreme Court three times, you know, um, we went to the Supreme Court. Chris had argued it. He did a really great job. Um, we went there on December 9th on a Wednesday, two weeks to the day on December 23rd. Chris called me and he called me at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, Kim, he said, we got it. We did it. He said, we got a new trial. And he was so excited. And he called, he said, I'm going to call. I'm going to try to get him out of there by New Year's and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Chris, that's so awesome. And I just, we hung up the phone after we talked for, you know, we the excitement. And I paced for about four hours because... It took that long to sink in that this is real. We got it. We finally got it. And then um, he didn't. He didn't get out by New Year's, but <laughs> but um, and we didn't tell. I, I I paced for about four hours, and then I actually texted my son and said, um, "Can you come to my?" Ha-? He was working, so I said, "I need to stop by the house after work. I need to talk to you." And um. Of course, the kids throughout the years came to everything. My son did not miss one hot second of anything. And Shelby, too, um, she came to all of the the hearings. And that was their choice. And um, he came to the house afterward. And Chris had sent me the um, the document that said, you know, the, the reversal. So I handed Ethan my phone. I hadn't had it printed or anything. So I handed him the phone. And he sat down and he was reading it. And... He'd scroll back to the top and he'd he'd read it again. (laughs) And he's like, so we got a new trial? And I was like, we got a new trial. So, yeah, the excitement went from there. And then Shelby came home and um, we we told her and, and yeah, it was was a wonderful day. So then we all sat around. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Is that a great Christmas present for you all? Oh, my gosh. It was so exciting. 
But we didn't want to, I didn't want to tell Dennis until, you know, we were sure that we could, you never know. Like I was always so skeptical now at that point. Well, after nine years. Yeah. Right. So, so we said, okay, we're not going to tell him right away and we'll wait. And then if we don't hear anything, New Year's Day, we went as a family and then um, we went New Year's Day to tell him that it's a new year. Life has just changed. And what you're, was, you're what, coming home. What was Dennis's reaction? The first thing that he said. I'm sorry. No, no. The first thing he said was, I'm going to get to see my mom. But um, that didn't happen. Because she had been very ill, right? Yeah. She, uh, she was in her 90s. She had waited the whole time. She fought. And, and she wasn't doing well towards the end so um he could have he could have seen her but he didn't actually get out right away so and that's because the judge set an incredibly high bond Mm -hmm. and right and so and this is where ultimately we step in so you tell dennis and then he says i'm going to get to see my mom and she knew right she knew he was going to be coming at some point be able to to get out yes (laughs) yeah and then the bond was set so high that he wasn't able to get out right away and she passed. Is that correct? Well, so the first of the year we went and told him. And then it was my understanding that he would be released on the same bond and, um, you know, we would go on. And at that point, Chris and, and Marty were done. They did their job. We got the, you know, we got the new trial. The appeal's over. We're starting over. And um, he just sat in prison and... He sat in prison and nothing was happening. And then I started to inquire a little bit and I would call the courts and they said, well, you know, he's going to need a court appointed. I didn't have any money. So I. um, That's right. He had a court appointed for a little bit before us, correct? Yeah. Right. The judge said, um, you need to go there and get a paper signed. He's got to sign a paper. Like, I can't do anything until he signs this paper that he wants court appointed. Like, I, you know. So I literally had to go down, get the paperwork at the courthouse, drive to the prison. Where was the prison at? He was in central Michigan at the time. He'd been in two prisons. He started in Saginaw, and he was there for about five, four or five years, mm-hmm. and then he spent the rest of it in central Michigan, which was a little closer. So that was a little because you guys were you guys are over on the west side of the state. So Correct. It was a bit of a drive. Yep. 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 So he actually didn't get out until like march it was i think it was after easter yeah it was months later we had the bond reduction motion i believe on good friday takura and i went down for that yep yep because marty or excuse me dennis has a court-appointed lawyer for a very brief period of time and not there are so many fantastic court-appointed lawyers but marty tiber even though he was done, was not really He was done, not done. Right? He did not do this right. for nine years to right. walk away. <laughs> and, and saw it going down a little bit of the same path just because that lawyer had so much on his plate. So then I get a phone call from Marty who has, we've been friends for years and years and years. And he says, I need a huge favor from you. <laughs> they cannot afford you, but I need you to meet with them anyway. Because essentially I worked on this for nine years. He's 
actually innocent and I need you to and your team to handle this. And that's how we met. Yes. That's how we yes. I met with you and your big huge box that you brought with all the papers <laughs> the in it. The first one. Like, I know. <laughs> the first of many. And then we I can it over to poor Kim Barris here who <laughs> has to go through and organize it and sift what we need. Yeah. And and it was a big labor of love on your part and yeah. then ultimately on ours as well. Well, I hope I hope that Marty explained to you when he called that, you know, she's a little overwhelming. You're right. <laughs> That's okay because you are loud, we are loud, it yeah. works. You know what I mean? Like you yes. get really into it, we get really into it. Yeah. So no issues there. But yeah. also thank God you you had such a right. huge box and file because a lot of the things that you kept were so helpful. So important. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're when you're a victim I thought you know, I was a victim. Mm-hmm. When you're the, the victim, you this it dumbfounded us and it was taken, you know, all of a sudden the accusation came. We sat around for a year and boom, my husband's gone. I clung to every little thing, mm-hmm. every, it, I was consumed with, I knew the truth and I was consumed with proving the truth and I had to figure out how to go about that. And, and that was, you know, I don't know how to, you just, you know, I knew I was going to do it. Some of the things that you had were so exciting, I think, as lawyers, because we were able to prove objectively that the complainant's lies, I, we were, that he was just spreading these falsehoods. Correct. Could you tell us about some of the witnesses who ultimately testified at the second one, but weren't called on for whatever reason at the first one? Oh, well, oh my gosh, there were neighbor kids, there were the adults in the neighborhood, um, there were people from Dennis's work who were never contacted and talked to at all the first trial. Um, there were... Was everybody willing? Well... <laughs> You guys had to call off witnesses. And then, so I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure there was a list of what? witnesses given to us by Kim that Takura and I called <laughs> that were probably about probably fifty to sixty names long. Yeah. Right. And I can't think of a single person who they didn't want to help. Like who who was my, against Dennis. My I, I one of my one of my really defining moments that I loved after you guys decided to take on the case and I brought all my stuff and dumped it on you and said, here we go. <laughs> um, you guys started to like investigate and you started looking into things and you guys would call me and say, oh my gosh, I'm so amazed. Like I know Mary had said, you know, wow, we opened that book and that support picture just hit us all like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Um, but I remember you guys started looking into things and Decorah had called me. And he said, well, I've started calling some of these witnesses. And I said, yeah. He goes, I haven't had to ask one of them yet if they would testify. They're all mm-hmm. like, so when do I get to testify? Yep. Like, he's mm-hmm. like, I didn't even get to ask them. Mm-hmm. Will you testify? And they were on board. Like, And that was the thing. People waited so long because mm-hmm. they wanted, this was, oh my gosh, finally somebody came to talk to us and we get to help. And just so some of our listeners know, it is not always that easy to get Ew. witnesses to testify. Oh, right. We <laughs> normally are like, there, please. Right. <laughs> right. Even in this case, for witnesses who didn't know Dennis, so the witnesses who knew Dennis and worked with him, lived in the neighborhood, the kids, they were all willing. But to Kerr, was everybody that happy to talk to you? <laughs> for- no. <laughs> I love his stories. Of, um, you know, you guys all worked so hard for this case. And I'm still 
every day I wake up and take a deep breath and I'm just so grateful and so amazed. Well, one lady kept telling Takura that um, he had the wrong number until another one of her friends spilled the beans that no, it was the correct number. And then she was just lying to him. So then he finally just went and wooed her face to face. That's right. And then she invited you for a dinner, right? Christmas. right. Christmas. Christmas and everything. Didn't she hang up on you a few times? She did. Oh, yeah. Tea and scones, ultimately, though, was what she she offered. So, hooray, won her over. Yeah. These were witnesses who had been the complainant's teachers Mm -hmm. at school and counselors. And so they were very important because there were records that had not been turned over that showed that the complainant had some serious issues and had a habit of lying and that he would believe his own lies and like to lie to get adults into trouble. So the- and this was way before the he had said these alleged incidences happened. So right. I mean, this was like his whole life. Right. Much. For years and years. And so teachers would say they like the complainant. He was, you know, he was pleasant enough. However, he would tell these elaborate lies and he would truly believe them. Even when he was caught. Right. Like, red-handed, he would still believe the lie and go with it. And these were people who didn't know Dennis or your family at all, but we needed to come in and testify to that. And ultimately they did because Takura just would not let that woman say no in that situation. I'm so grateful that you, like everybody else, no one, you know, no one was given up on this. It was like, okay, we are determined. This guy is in a, you know, um, communication. And you had sent me I think, Lizzie, you sent me a, a witness list or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know these people. So I called and I'm like, who are these people? You had people on the witness list. Once you guys started digging in and doing your thing, you guys did so much work. I mean, the footwork on this was you put a lot of hours in and um, mm-hmm. some of them I didn't even know. But we didn't have those names before right. the first trial. We got those through appeal. That was part right. of one of the the first time the Supreme Court sent back. They sent back the the um counseling records with those names I, so we didn't know who those women were we were no we were clueless like who are these people like why are they on the witness list yeah. so yeah well one of the that interesting work. things that kim barris and i had to figure out was so the complainant was talking about red bunk beds and trophies and a playstation and how would he even know that these things had existed if he'd never been in ethan's room and then what we figured out when we went to your house is the bus stop is right at the end of your driveway. So for years, he would be at this bus stop and you could see right into Ethan's room. Correct. So we, and that is not an exaggeration. No, like, we all totally, stood in there. And I know. Like, oh, we my like, God. Oh, you could see everything. So we could see Kim and I took a bunch of pictures because you could see right in the room. So he would be able to describe the room, even though he hadn't been in it after those bunk beds had been purchased. And we spoke with a lot of neighbors who said, oh, I can totally describe Ethan's room. And I've never been in there because for years I would wait for the bus at the end of their driveway. So that closed that loop for us where we Mm -hmm. couldn't figure out how we could make those claims on the timeline. And if you look at the photos um, that Kim actually, Kim Barris took uh, while she was there, just from the photo standing at the edge of the driveway, you can see right into his room. Right. It's right. a good reminder for all of us to close <laughs> exactly. our blinds. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Blinds right. are good. Right. <laughs> well, and at night when the light was on, you could see every, You could mm-hmm. see the red bunk beds. You could see the trophies. You could see all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as far as like the game, like the PlayStation, that's what um, like Ethan and his friends see. They would go back and forth and play the uh, 
the video games or whatever. Mm-hmm. So And something that I learned was your home was like the United Nations. Everybody <laughs> came through <laughs> and, and they hung out all hours a day, weekends and so on. Yeah. 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 The kids were always playing basketball out in the driveway and then the Shelby would be running in and out changing her outfit every hour. So <laughs> the lights were always on because <laughs> I wish I'd watch you would turn them on. So for the off, so the very few times, the off chances that Dennis would be home during the day, um, let's say he had a random day off because if you look at his work records, he would have like two days off a month. Where was he when there were kids over at the house? Was he in the house with them? Dennis is outside most of the mm-hmm. time. Uh, my kids are outside most of the time. Um, we do a lot of outside stuff. My house is small. TV wasn't really like, an, uh, go outside and play. Mm-hmm. It's raining. Oh, hey, go run in the rain. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll be Get fine. That energy You'll be out. fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they loved it. Like, So, you know, we did a lot of bike riding and mm-hmm. the kids had a lot of outdoor stuff and um, snowmobiling and motorcycles. And, you know, in fact, the complainant had said that um, the trophies were for motocross. Mm-hmm. He, Ethan never raced motocross. Mm-hmm. He didn't know. Like, he had no clue that those were for bike racing. Mm-hmm. So, And for those trophies, too, you also had, as a proud mom, the magazines where <laughs> Ethan would be listed in there. And so you can see when Ethan starts racing, which is years after the complainant says these trophies were in the room. He's Correct. listed as a rookie in the right. magazines. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we had the magazines, the bike receipts, the video game that hadn't even been manufactured yet, bunk beds. We had a lot of tangible evidence, a bunch of photographs that Kim Barris took. Measurements. Right, mm-hmm. measurements. measurements yeah. So there was a lot in the work records. I could not believe how supportive Dennis's old coworkers mm-hmm. were because the the place had shut down. Right. So yes. they were. it's not like they were all there. I mean, we had to chase these people to the ends of the earth. Literally, in some cases, a guy in Alaska, yep. Colorado, <laughs> Florida, yes. all over the place. We yes, found they testified from the whole country. Right, right. <laughs> Pretty much. And Purple Pam. Oh, shout out to Purple Pam. That's She's right. awesome. Pam. <laughs> she always wore purple. And she was such a support. Like, even in prison, these people helped support him. Purple Pam would go out and buy these giant three-foot cards <laughs> and have everyone from the plant sign them and send them for his birthday or just, you know, or thinking about you. And and so she she was, you know, there was a lot of support from his work and everyone. So that was helpful for him, you Do- know. Did you feel differently going into the second trial? Granted, we're all in the room. Right? So you <laughs> say that. Yeah, right. As so, we stare at you. I know, right. No pressure, but, Kim. <laughs> because they made between when Dennis's convictions were reversed, the prosecutor made him an offer where if he were to plead no contest, which would mean he wouldn't have to say on the record that he had done something wrong, he literally would be done. No jail, no prison, no probation, no parole. Like he would be done with this. Right. And then he said no. And were you in agreement with that? He said, I'm not admitting to something I didn't do. I, I'll spend the rest of my life in prison before I do that. Were you in agreement with that decision? Absolutely. One of the yes. things I loved is we had heard that you spent every night for the nine years at home going through documents and you'd write charts down of because the complainant story dramatically changed like he couldn't keep a straight story i mean as i know takur likes to say 
you know, the truth never changes, but lies do. So his story changed so dramatically. Every time he talked to someone, it was a different story. From two times to 600 times to 10 times to 300 times. I mean, it was just all over the place. And, And his claims just got more... They just were so inconsistent and none of that had been brought up at the first trial. And so you charted it all out. And then obviously we go through and we chart it out, but it was nice to see some of your work so we could just build off of that. I mean, it was incredibly helpful for us. Yeah, there was a lot of notebooks, I'm sure you're reading. Right. <laughs> there were a few. So, yes. so, uh, let's, <laughs> so I'd like to talk about the second trial. Uh, so can you give us an idea of what really was different this during the second trial compared to the first trial? Can you give us some examples? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was different. Um, when I, when I came down and met Mary and we talked, you were, you know, really kind of giving me some pointers and saying, this is, you know, what you need. And, um, I knew in the first three minutes that I needed you. Like I wanted to jump over the table and hire you and just hug you and not let you go. Well, I'm a big hugger, so I would have been fine with that. (laughs) Um, And then when, you know, Chris and Marty sent everything to you that they had. And then when you came down and I said, can you come to the house? And you came in and I said, you know, look at everything, go through everything. I don't climb under the beds in the car. I don't care. Um, It made it easier with all the visuals when we're talking. So you know what I'm talking about. So, um, and you guys took over and it was my second, aha, you know, because at first I'm sitting there and Dennis, we got the new trial. Marty and Chris are done. They won. And I'm back to, oh my gosh, I need a lawyer. We're going back to trial. Um, When we got the court appointed, um, it was just too big of a case. Like, and taking me on is a lot. So, (laughs) so his, actually his law clerk called me and said, can you come down here and help me? And, but it was too big of a case. They, one guy wasn't going to be able to do it. We needed the law firm. We needed, you know, it was a lot of work you guys have. I can't even, you guys, since a lot of hours. Uh, so then we hired you guys and that was my second, oh my gosh, relief. I can sleep. You guys took over and you just ran with it. And you did take all of the, um, the receipts and the trophies and the PlayStation and the bunk bed. And, you know, you went and talked to all of the witnesses and, you investigated this case. You didn't just, you investigated. Like you, Lizzie, you guys were such amazing, you know, that I'm calling you at that point saying, who are these witnesses? Because I don't know. So I was so relieved and so happy. And Dennis, of course, was thrilled. Um, but he was scared. You know, it was a very scary thing to go through that second trial. But the first time that I came to your home, we went on a tour of the neighborhood and mm-hmm. you helped take things off paper and breathe mm-hmm. life into them. Mm-hmm. You showed me where you went to bargaining, where the kids went to school, right. and it was easier to envision, oh, when they're riding bicycles, this is the street. So 
you helped educate us. Yeah. Visuals are very important, I think. Because like before you actually came and seen my house, you don't know. But then when you come to the house, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a small, it's a like, tiny little You would house. hear anything. Well, right. Yeah. Right. Because he claimed he was screaming at the top of his lungs. And so we measured. We are, you know, from the bedroom to the kitchen, from the bedroom to the bathroom. I mean, there's no way that you wouldn't hear that. So right. when he's claiming that, Dennis is raping him and that you were home and your kids were home. What he's really claiming is you allowed some young boy to be raped in your house over and over again, 600 times, and you didn't do anything about it. And and that has got to be so offensive to you as a human being and a yeah. mother. And I mean, I think if you thought a child was being harmed, you wouldn't hesitate to act. No, no, I... Kim's tough. Only, she would right. not I, just like I, sit I, back I, and let that happen. No, only over my dead or unconscious body. That is yeah. not. I, I don't. Even, I don't have to know you. Like you know what? If mm-hmm. you're a ch- anybody, even uh, anybody screaming, that's mm-hmm. it's your duty to step in and say no. But um, yeah, he basically accused the whole family. Well, what was also interesting too, when Kim Barris and I went to measure, is how close your house was to the house next door, mm-hmm. where there was a childcare facility. Correct. So you know, it was a childcare facility in the home. So if someone is screaming, and we tried it out, poor Kim has to listen <laughs> to me scream, right? So we tried it out. You could hear it. So kids outside playing would have been able to hear it. The neighbors would have been able to hear it. I mean, those cl- those houses were close together. Right. So there's just no way that it could have happened. And then Takura interviewed that those neighbors and they said never. Well, they like, testified. Right. right. You know, yes. um, it was a remarkable trial, I think, in the testimony that the witnesses gave. But also the greatest thing about um, the witnesses, besides their support, just willing to testify, was I don't think there was one person who came to testify that left right after they stayed throughout the whole thing. As soon as they were allowed to be in the courtroom after testifying, they all stayed just yeah. to support him. It, it was like a wedding, yeah. right? Our side was full. Yeah, right. had many <laughs> more right. people yeah. than the other side. And I think what was critical also was being able to when we took the measurements. I remember do it, putting on the demonstration with Ebird, where I had him tell me, "Okay, these are the measurements," and we were able to show the jury that. One of the rooms that he claimed he was raped in was even smaller than the jury box. Mm-hmm. Right. It really puts it into perspective. I think it really helps a jury understand, you know, really how small. If they can't go see the house, it's the best way to show how small your house really was. Right. We had asked for them to go see the house and then the judge denied that. But the other thing is one of the government's own witnesses who they called who had played in the neighborhood he refuted the complainant's testimony mm-hmm. about how often they had played. And he said, he, this boy didn't come over to your house to play video games. He went over to his house later on. And that was interesting. We had that group of neighborhood kids who testified that they played with Ethan at the time, but they didn't play with the complainant because he was more of an indoor kid and they were outdoor kids. Then you had the group of adults and the workers. So it was really, I mean, just a whole quilt of people who came in to testify that this could not have happened because the complainant was saying that he was best friends right. with your son oh and that yeah. he was always over there all the time oh takura tell us about that <laughs> witness which was fantastic <laughs> the abridged version is that there was one witness who absolutely could not stand that the complainant <laughs> accused him <laughs> of of it involved a toy 
it made him so upset that the complainant claimed that he threw a toy on the roof. And, when really uh, it was the complainant. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, <laughs> so you better remember, this is 20 years he ago. Was still fuming. He was still hot about that. <laughs> yes. And we had to tell him, move on, right? Because right. he was an older kid, too, in right. the group. So he's like <laughs> in his 30s now. <laughs> he was, he was yeah. getting that story in there. <laughs> I remember this toy. So it was hilarious. But I think that the complainant was kind of known for that. You know, that was the thing. He He got in trouble a lot and... You know, he made false accusations and and that's, you know, when we got those counseling records, that's pretty much kind of what it talked about in there. So, I mean, he was troubled and needed help. And what was so troubling for us is we spoke to the prosecutor and said, you know, he needs help. Mm -hmm. He I mean, this is not helping him at all. Like he has some serious issues and you should be trying to help him and encourage him to get help as opposed to just sort of continuing on with this. Feeding into the fantasy. Right. Well, they were enabling that mm-hmm. the the false accusations and, you know, that that doesn't help him. And something else that we learned during the second trial, uh, and I don't think we knew this before, was that that counselor was actually much more than that. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that she rented a home for the complainant and her son and all sorts of inappropriate relationships, uh, I think, led mm-hmm. to this accusation. Well, right. she, I believe, testified that she knew he was a victim before he claimed yes. to be a victim. He had all victim. the signs. Yep. And she was inviting him to say he was a victim. Well, then he got caught stealing. Mm-hmm. He was arrested. And, um, you know, that's when he said, I need to go and talk to her right away. And then he claimed to be a victim. And he had met with many different counselors and therapists over the years throughout his whole life and had never once made this accusation until he got in trouble legally this time with the law. And then, you know, she opened up the door saying, essentially, why do you act out? Did something happen to you? And right. you walk through that door. Yep. Immediately. Yeah. And and sent Dennis through another door for nine years. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, prison for nine years. Yeah. So this didn't just impact Dennis. And no. this just did not impact you. No. So we talked a lot about Ethan. Did Ethan have plans after high school to go to college? Yes. And he was a National Honor Society member, right? Yep. And yep. then did he go to college? He had um, he had a couple of scholarships. One was a full ride to Kettering, um, which is a wonderful yeah. school. Um, they were both in the top five, I believe. I think Purdue had given it was, it was Purdue somewhere down south had given him a scholarship. But he knew at that point that he didn't want to leave us behind to go. Um, he gave up the scholarships because he felt responsible. Um, he felt like he needed to stay home and, you know, protect me and, and his sister. And, um, you know, he had to be the man. He didn't. He lost his childhood. You know, he lost his college education that he worked so hard for. That was his goal. His whole life was, you know, I'm going to go to college and I'm I'm going to be Become something. He wanted to be an engineer, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he stayed behind, and um, he said, "My dad can't come to me, so I need to be there to go to him." So, and he ultimately ended up doing the same thing that Dennis does. And Dennis was his hero. So that 
Yep. There was a really sweet class project that Ethan had done when he was younger where he talked about who his hero was and Dennis. He picked Dennis and all the reasons why. Yep. And that came out at the second trial too. Yep. And it was that was another time where Dennis cried. My favorite part of that is where he said, my dad is, is my hero because he's good at math. <laughs> Which I thought was so adorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that you had told us was while Dennis was in prison, you tried to keep life as normal as possible for Ethan and Shelby. And so when Dennis could call around dinner time, you would put him on speakerphone and you would have dinner as a family. You, Ethan, and Shelby around your kitchen table, Dennis obviously calling from Michigan Department of Corrections, but you would talk about, uh, try and keep it as normal as possible, talk about school and life and all of that. Right, right. When he went into prison, that was the thing. I said, you know, um, the next day or within a few days, I said, okay, this is how this is going to go. I'm going to take care of your dad and work on his, uh, you know, getting him out of prison and you guys are to continue to go to school do your best get good grades and you know just do the best you can and and focus on your your world um i didn't want them to take that burden on i knew ethan would the neighbors knew ethan would there was a a letter to the judge saying you know this child is gonna he's gonna step up and try to fit his dad's you know step into his dad's shoes um and they did a really good job. I remember Ethan said, come on, Shelby, let's go outside and play basketball. So like the very week, end of that week, that trial ended and Dennis went to prison, Ethan and Shelby went outside and they were playing basketball. And I remember, you know, I went to check on him and look outside and there were the all the neighborhood kids that <laughs> didn't get to testify playing in the in the driveway, like always, you know, the only the only thing is, is you know, later in the evenings, they didn't get to play outside because Dennis wasn't out there. But because a complainant was still in the neighborhood and it did cause some issues, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, yes. And Ed threatened Shelby at one point and there were some issues. Oh, absolutely. And and that's why Ethan stayed behind. He was not going to, you know, his dad was, you know, his dad was in prison and he was protecting you and Shelby. Yes. Yeah. Now, one of the things, too, that listeners might want to know is... Was Dennis your first boyfriend? Oh. So, how, <laughs> right? so this isn't just someone you met in your 20s. When no, did the two of you first this meet? this poor guy. Um, <laughs> the guys in my world. Uh, I met Dennis. We moved into, I uh, moved in down the street from him when I was seven. So, um, you know, and he was the cool dude with the motorcycle. <laughs> at seven? Yeah. What? He had a mini bike. He had a little okay. I am not well, surprised Well, at we all. need to clarify. It's not a motorcycle, right? <laughs> a mini bike. <laughs> Seven-year-old. Yeah. I'm a Harley. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we met when I was seven. He became, my sister was a big tomboy. So they became really good friends. So he was at our house. He was, my mom, we were like the old Kool-Aid commercial. There were always kids. If someone couldn't find their kid, they'd call my mom. Hey, where's my kid? Oh, he Johnny's down at so-and-so's. She knew where everybody's kids were because she was home. Um, but so, yeah, we met when we were seven. And um, we started dating at 16. And, yeah, I used to beat him up all the time. <laughs> He's a keeper, right? We'll defend you. Yeah. Was he your first kiss? Yeah. Right now. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we were mar- we've been married... 30 years, but we've actually been together like 40. Long, long time, yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So back to the second trial. Mary, how long did it take for the jury to come back with a verdict? 19 minutes. And the only reason it took that long, they told us, was because they had to use the bathroom. So we, when we closed, so the prosecutor goes first, then I go. During my closing, some of the jurors were crying mm-hmm. because they knew that Dennis had been wrongfully imprisoned for an extended period of time. So it was really hitting them. You know, he comes from and is the husband in such a wonderful family. So then... The prosecutor then does, they get to speak again, and then the jury goes back and deliberates. Well, we weren't even done packing things up. So Lizzie almost missed it altogether. Right. It was the worst moment of my life. <laughs> um, so I am, I was the trial paralegal, so I was the one who was there with them actually in trial. And once we, you know, once the jury went back, I was like, we need snacks. It has been a <laughs> right. long day. We haven't had lunch. We need snacks. So you had um, a toddler with you, right? Right. That's right. And that's, <laughs> like, and that's, that's Takura. Takura. <laughs> always hungry. Always, always hungry. So our firm administrator, Tony, had um, came for the day to because he wanted to be there in support. So him and I go down to the basement floor where there's a little like cafe uh, to get some snacks and water. And I have my phone in my pocket on vibrate, so I'm not paying attention to it, not seeing that Takura has texted me multiple times that we have a verdict. So Tony and I come back upstairs and turn the corner around from the elevators, and no one's in the hallway. So I immediately throw my snacks in the air and run into the courtroom, (laughs) and I made it just in time. I wasn't able to be back at the table with them, um, but there was one seat left open on Dennis's side. All the rest of the seats were completely taken. So I sat on Tony's lap. <laughs> You're very close. You're we're very close. close. We're very good friends. And waited for um, the jury to read the verdict, which was like two seconds later. Well, when we heard the buzzer, so, you know, you'll they'll, you'll hear the buzz buzzer. And we thought, well, they want the exhibits because they hadn't taken them. So then the clerk comes out. And so I said, oh, they want the exhibits. And she said, no, they have a verdict. So I remember getting right. all of you, Dennis... Shakur and I went out to bring you all in and Kim you said what does this mean and then I said I don't know we'll obviously we'll find out and we'll fight and stand with him till the end because we'll never stop fighting is this normal for it to only be no yeah no especially (laughs) that's why we're all like trial was two weeks Mm -hmm. so I've had a shorter verdict in a one-day trial 13 minute not guilty but not in a case that went on for two full weeks that had we had dozens and dozens of witnesses and numerous exhibits on something like this we really expected them to be out longer i mean we thought we had proven the case but you just never know with a jury and then they came out and when they came out one of the jurors winked at me. So I felt like I think that's a good sign because I don't think he was interested in dating me. And so, you know, I mean, I'm definitely significantly older than he is. So I thought, well, that's a good sign. And then they read the verdict and then Dennis just sobbed. Everybody sobbed. Dennis I mean, just felt, dropped. He fell right. to his knees. Yeah. Right. He fell to his knees. Yeah. We sobbed at the office. What, what yeah. was that I know. like for you, Kim? I, you know, we, I'd went out and I talked to a couple people and I'd gone into the restroom and all of a sudden my daughter-in-law comes running in and she's like, Kim, are you in here? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, they got a verdict. They got a verdict. And I'm like, what? What do you, what? So soon? It was a little scary because, you know, mm-hmm. wow, I missed the whole trial. Um, we went in and I think I was hyperventilating. Um, and 
you know, they said not guilty. And I don't remember a whole lot after that, other than you turning around, Mary, and you came over and hugged me. And then I think you, Takura, were holding, you and Lizzie were holding Dennis up or something yeah, and right. hugging him and holding him. And, and yeah. I, I sat down, I couldn't even stand up and everybody was standing and everybody was so excited. And um, I, I don't even remember the second, like the second. I sobbed. It, it, I, on, <laughs> on Tony's lap, I sobbed. <laughs> yeah, everybody was yeah. It, it just, it was just such a joyful moment. It's what we fought for for all that time. Mm-hmm. So it was just amazing. Well, we had, so we all wound up getting sick. So I don't think people realize for trials, you have so little sleep. And even when you do get sleep, it's not that deep restful sleep because you're thinking, okay, tomorrow is this and we've got these witnesses. So I think that starting the next day, we all got cold. (laughs) But that night we went out, had a nice dinner and some nice wine. And that was a great, it was just a great. It's one of my favorite memories. I know. Going to dinner to celebrate. Would you say that based on the number of witnesses that the defense put on the stand, as well as the amount of evidence, that it was almost uh, a reversal of how these types of cases proceed? Sure. We put on far more witnesses. I don't think they had one exhibit. We had dozens of exhibits Mm -hmm. that went in, photographs, receipts. Summaries. Oh, summaries, right. We took all of his work records and Lizzie and Kim went and put them on summary calendars so it would be easier for the jury to see. So we put on, our our side of the proofs lasted far longer than the government side. And we probably called five times as many witnesses, I think. Yes. When we went back, so after um, the verdict was uh, read, and everyone kind of settled down, we were able to go back and meet the jurors and talk to them. And what was their reaction? So they said they took one vote. So they used the bathroom, then they took one vote and they had a little styrofoam cup and they showed us. So they all went around, they wrote on a sheet of paper what they believed the verdict should be, put it in the styrofoam cup and the jury foreperson took it out, read it, and that's how they reached their decision. I mean, they were all... 100% convinced that he was innocent. Mm -hmm. And I got that night a fantastic email from a juror that probably is one of the most kindest emails I've ever read, where he wrote at length about he never would have left the jury room. He knew that Dennis was innocent. He was so sorry for what had happened to your family and hoped that you would find peace. And it was just a really lovely note. And I think that It was very important for all of us to show not just that Dennis was not guilty, that the government didn't meet their burden, but actually that those jurors believed he was innocent. And we didn't shift the burden. We still would have gotten the not guilty. I would have been thrilled with that, even if they thought the government didn't meet their burden of proof. But it was so important, I know, to Dennis and to you to really hit home that he was innocent. And that's why we pushed so hard putting on so many witnesses. And when we went back there... Chakura went around and shook every juror's hand. But that, um, that we was, hugged. Yes. Some of them gave us hugs and said, you know, we absolutely knew that he was innocent. You know, it wasn't just that one email you got. Right. All of them just kept saying over and over again. They felt so bad that you and your family had to go through this. And it was clear that he was innocent. You know, everyone believed that. Well, it was interesting. So when the jury went back to deliberate, so they were out for that 19 minutes. So 
I always go over and shake the hand of the prosecutor. It's just something that you do, like even with in sports, right? You'll always shake the hand of your opponent. And I, you know, just shook his hand and then was started to go back to our table. Well, the detective said, mm-hmm. you know, if his first lawyer had done his job, he never would have been convicted and we never would have been here. And I did bite my tongue because I wanted to say if you had done your job, mm-hmm. because you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes when someone is saying this happened after school and Dennis says, well, I was at work. I think the first thing that the detective should have done is go to his workplace because if Dennis had been lying, she would have gutted that alibi right then and there. Right. So he's he's not at work. What's he talking about? He was fired three years ago. So she would have known right then and there whether Dennis was telling the truth or not. She didn't do that. And if she had done that, I think she would have been able to go back to the complainant and his family and really dig deeper and learn that this is a troubled teenager and not someone who was assaulted by Dennis. And she didn't. And having to recreate that 20 years later where the plant had shut down, these witnesses are scattered all over the country. It was so much more difficult than if she had done her job when this first happened. From the get-go. Right. Right. So it was. And what's astonishing, too, is has Dennis received a penny from the Wrongful Imprisonment Compensation Act, Kim? No. Right. The attorney general's office is fighting us tooth and nail. So we teamed up with the Tebers to try and get Dennis some compensation for spending nine years in prison. He's listed on the National Registry of Exonerations, and that details the problems with the case. And numerous, numerous Mm -hmm. problems, the flawed evidence, the flawed testimony from the complainant. And we keep getting turned down every step of the way which is so distressing. Right now it's at the Michigan Supreme Court, so hopefully we'll have some good news for you soon. People um, think, why would someone lie? So that's, I think, the, the thought process, especially now. Someone, I mean, we hear this all the time. If someone makes a claim, you have to believe them. But that's not the way the justice system works. Mm-hmm. That parents may want to be supportive, a school system, a therapist, but that's not the way the justice system works. We see so many people who are wrongfully accused for numerous reasons. This one, I agree with you. He's lucky he was married and he was at work. Suppose he was home and, but he was just, you know, watching television. I mean, it would have been a very different case if your kids weren't so outdoorsy, they were more introverted. I mean, there are so many different aspects of this case that others don't have to try and defend themselves. Exactly. But the toll the financial toll of keeping someone in prison for nine years. That's over a quarter of a million dollars that the state paid for that. And then the toll on your family, financially, emotionally, the stability-wise. It is, I mean, I think it rocks everyone's world when you think if Dennis could be convicted and it takes nine years to release him from prison and then another almost two years for us to get to trial and exonerate him, is anyone really safe? Well, and, and that was the thing because we knew a lot of people. We had preschool or um, uh, teachers who retired because they're like, if this could happen to him, he's never home. This could happen to me. And so people were resigning from jobs. We had people who were volunteering at the church for preschool saying, I'm not doing that now, just in fear of this could happen to me. And to be so close to that and and know that you know somebody's innocent and and now they're in prison for a crime they didn't commit yeah it affects so many people it just trickles out so far 
One thing I want to ask, which I don't think we talked about, um, just so people understand, I guess, the emotion that occurred once Dennis was released out on bond. What happened when you went to pick Dennis up? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we went and picked him up. And, you know, he said, what do you want to do? I got to go to Taco Boy because Taco Boys, we've been going there forever. That's <laughs> a little hole in the wall. So we go to Taco Boy, we eat. And then we came driving through the neighborhood. And the word was out because they'd already got online and knew he'd been released. So they knew they were waiting. They're watching the house. And they so we're driving through the neighborhood and people are in their yards and the neighbors are out there. Ah! They're screaming. They knew they knew he was in the car. We couldn't even get in the driveway. And all of a sudden there are hundreds of people like my house there. People are bringing their dogs. The dogs missed him. And it, they're great. <laughs> now they've got, you know, all these kids are, we're teens. Now they're mm -hmm. early twenties. They've got their own kids. So yeah. everybody comes and they're all bringing their kids. And it was, for me, it was so overwhelming. <laughs> I, I had to go in my room. I was just like, oh, my God. My house was full of people. People were ordering pizzas. And it was – finally, I went to bed at, like, midnight. I said, okay, party. Go ahead, people. I was so exhausted. <laughs> I went to bed. But Dennis got to visit with all of these people. And it was just – yeah, it was quite the celebration. That's awesome. Well, we got – and I don't know that we've ever shared this with you, but after the verdict, once that went around your neighborhood and your support system – we got a lot of emails thanking mm -hmm. us for our work. And we had Facebook gotten a messages. Oh, Facebook oh, yeah, messages. Right. People just wrote the nicest emails and contacted us. And that was so, it was just really heartwarming for us to know you had that support. And it was really it, a lot of gratitude and we appreciated getting it. I think uh, for me, one of the things that stands out also is that he did not want Shelby after her first experience at MDOC to return. And uh, I'll never forget what it is he said when he saw her again after so long. Yeah. C can you tell us what he said when he saw Shelby again? Well, we, first of all, I had, it was hard to get them there because you have to get the birth certificates proved. It's their kid, his kids and stuff. So we did go a couple times and then there was an incident in the visiting room and he would always call after we left and he was put back out into, um, you know, population or whatever and make sure that we got on the road and we were on our way because it was a long drive. And um, he called and said, she's never going to see me again if I don't get out of here. You guys are not allowed to come back. And he didn't let us come back to visit him, uh, even me. He's like, it's just, you know, I'm here. I'm going to endure this. There's no reason that you all need to be here. That's just crazy. So Ethan had purchased some or Ethan and Sarah had purchased their home. So Ethan took a bunch of pictures of the house because, you know, they'd talk and he would tell him and he's like, oh, send me some pictures. So we didn't do pictures of like us, but he wanted pictures of the, like, the house and stuff. So in that, I had put a Christmas picture of my dad with all the kids, all the grandkids. And he had gotten those photos and he went through them and that photo would come up and he called me and he said, now by this time, you know, Shelby and Ethan are five, six years older. So you're talking 13, 14 to 19, 20. So she's now a young woman. She's not a little girl anymore. And he called and he said, who's the blonde? And I said, that's your daughter. He didn't even recognize her. And he just said, I'll call you back. And he hung up. And then he called me a few hours later. But he didn't even recognize his own daughter. And that was so sad. 
So when we found out that he was going to be getting out and um, we went for New Year's, she went. So that was the first time that he had seen her, you know, in in the in the nine years. So, I mean, that's a long time. He missed her whole um, teenage life, boyfriends, girlfriends. You know, there were so many milestones that he didn't get. He's, he never saw her in a prom dress. He never got to, you know, meet the boyfriends and the girlfriends and graduation. Teaching her right. to drive, yeah. graduation. Yep. So he had all the day-to-day, you know, that is just part of being a family. The Right. Just like driving to the store, going for ice cream. Right. Right. You two are... And all your family, you're big into going, right, right, riding bikes and right. water and all of that. Yeah. So when like Shelby would want to go ride her motorcycle or a mini bike or snowmobiling, whatever, and it broke, then Ethan would have to pick up those pieces. And thank goodness he followed in dad's footsteps and yeah. <laughs> fix anything. Fix things. <laughs> um, so what's life like now? So oh is gosh. it just the four of you still? Well, and then with so... your daughter-in-law. <laughs> life is good. Life is so good. Um, you know, Ethan and Sarah Mary, and now they have a little guy. So I spend a lot of time with him. <laughs> and I am, we're just so enjoying life. He gets to come and hang out with us. And, you know, um, we had him for the weekend. So it was. And, and it's is the so family fun. continuing to grow? Yeah, we have a granddaughter. We're very excited to be coming to, into the world in a couple months here. So it's very exciting. Yeah, our family's growing and happy and you know little bicycles and mini bikes and motorcycle we're gonna start all over again and <laughs> keep going <laughs> you sent me um you sent all of us a photo of you and your new grandson and dennis and man this makes me sound like i'm just like a sobber all the time but like, i'm just like always crying no, it but is. <laughs> i, so I cry yeah well that's that is true but i mean i just started crying when you sent that to me because it was so wonderful because Dennis missed so much and for him to be home with you now and be able to enjoy his first grandchild is just, it's heartwarming. It, it, it just pulls on your heartstrings. When, when they had the baby and they called, uh, I was walking up the driveway. I was talking to the neighbor when, when Dennis or when Ethan had called and I walked up the driveway and Dennis knew he could tell by my face because I was so excited. (laughs) And he said, I'm just so happy that I'm not going to miss this. Yeah. Like, let's get ready and go down there and see this baby. So we've done some camping and we've been to the dunes. That's and we, awesome. You know, <laughs> we're out doing, just having fun stuff. Good. So, yeah, we're we're living on. For, so. for any listener who is in a similar situation to yours, they have a loved one in prison and they know the person is innocent. Do you have any advice for them or words of wisdom based on your own experience don't give up because the truth will come out the truth will come it just it's it's time consuming and the system isn't very fast they're slow um but don't give up you know it'll it'll come around it'll come around don't give up keep fighting keep calling keep doing whatever you have to do to get out there and let you know just prove the truth well, you're one of those good people who kept fighting for nine years mm-hmm. for Dennis. Mm-hmm. And he would not be home nope. with his new grandchild 
and you and his kids and loving and enjoying life if it weren't for you. Absolutely. And well, I if didn't I do were it alone, so you <laughs> if I were yeah. his wife, I'd remind him of that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not doing the laundry. You get down here. Right? You're home because well, of me. he's Mr. F- he's I used to say he's my garbage man. He's my electrician he's my plumber he's my <laughs> carpenter he's a, so he's my mechanic so well he is our car guy too, yeah so i've called him with a question or two yeah. myself yeah. since then so. he's helped me with questions about putting in my privacy fence I so he, he, he really is the go-to for everyone I, you know i i could have never done this alone i just with the grace of god and you know just good people you know um you know, when, and that was the thing I remember, um, Marty was saying, we, we just need people to look at this because once they look at it, you know, it's so obvious, how could they walk away? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I needed. I needed somebody to look at this and say, oh my gosh. And, and that's exactly what Marty and Chris Sieber did. And then they ran with it. Um, you know, the words, thank you are not even, how do you express, you know, the gratitude? You didn't have to do it, but you did. You know, Marty and Chris, they didn't have to do it. They could have walked away. I had lawyers say, well, when your money's gone, then too bad. I'm not pro bono in this. So, you know, you guys didn't do that. You guys didn't Teamwork do made the dream work. Mm-hmm. It did. Absolutely. Well, I am now living the dream. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Life is good. I'm, I'm. We're enjoying ourselves. And thank you for joining us. We absolutely adore you and Dennis and your entire family. And I think you're story of how you fought for Dennis for nine years to get him released, then the two years until we were able to exonerate him is inspiring. I know it inspires me every day. Thank you. So uh, that is it for today. Thank you so much, Kim, for joining us. Um, as you know, we love you. Absolutely. Um, anytime. <laughs> so we're we really, love you too. <laughs> so we're very happy that we were able to get your story out. So um I guess that is it for today. Thank you for listening and keep an eye out for our next episode.